0: Pimp Your Brilliance podcast with Monique Malcolm, a show about creative people leveraging their brilliance to create their own opportunities. I aim to show you what's really possible when you shut down the chorus of fear and lean into your genius zone. You can learn more about this show and subscribe for updates by visiting keepchasingthestars.com backslash podcast. Hey, Star Chasers. This episode of Pimp Your Brilliance is brought to you by The Visionary Journal. The Visionary Journal is a goal setting guide, mini vision board, and day planner. It provides a simple structure to help you break your goals into actionable steps that you can integrate into your daily life. For more information and to order your own copy of the Visionary Journal, visit KeepchasingThestars.com backslash Visionary Journal. This is episode 21. For more information or for show notes, you can find them at KeepchasingTheStars.com backslash 21. Hey guys, welcome to another interview. Today, I'm chatting with Meg Keen, who is the founder and editor-in-chief of A Practical Wedding, which is a feminist wedding publication that started out as a blogspot account on her kitchen table 10 years ago. So she's basically like a granny in internet time. A Practical Wedding is the top independently held wedding publication in the world, even larger than Martha Stewart Weddings. So, I mean, we're talking about like serious wedding business here And more recently, she's the founder of The Compact, a feminist summer camp for women and community. Meg has also published two creatively named books, A Practical Wedding and A Practical Wedding Planner, both top sellers on the wedding bookshelf. So Meg knows weddings, but more importantly than that, uh, she also knows about blogging and how to bootstrap a business when you don't have money She knows about building a diverse team. And honestly, she just has some interesting insights about what it is to be an entrepreneur in this day and age. And so I really enjoyed this chat. I think that if you are somebody who has an idea and you just want to get it out there and get started, this is a great episode for you to listen to because Meg has a really cool story. And I think that you should listen. So if you are ready, grab your pens and your notebooks and let's dive in. Hey, Meg, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, I'm so happy to be here.
0: I am excited to have you on the show because it's taken forever.
1: I know, and that is my fault.
0: <laughs> but it's all good because you're here now and that's all that matters. And I know that you're going to have some wonderful things to share with us because that's just who you are. So let's get started at the top. Can you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are and what you do.
1: I am Meg Keen. Um I run an online wedding publication called The Practical Wedding. I've been doing it for 10 years as of this month, which seems crazy and makes me like a granny in internet time. Um, And I also recently launched a project called The Compact, uh, which is for women in their 30s and 40s, since we get sort of forgotten in the dust of the BuzzFeed trash bin. Um, And we are launching with Summer Camp for Grown-Ass Women, which is happening in August outside of San Francisco in the mountains in a real-life summer camp. Um, So I'm really excited about that too.
0: Yay. So let's talk about a practical wedding because as you said, you're basically internet ancient because (laughs) 10 years is a long time for any website to exist. And I know you guys started out... um, At this point, you've transitioned from calling yourself a blog to more of a a formal publication, but you started out as a blog. So, why did you start a wedding blog?
1: So, I have been reading blogs since, like, we want to talk about the old days. I started reading blogs every day in two thousand three. So back then, I mean, I was recently thinking about just like how little was on the internet back then. I mean, there was no blogger, there was no blog spot, like forget, forget Instagram. Like there was, I was still on Friendster. Um, so if you had a blog, you basically had to be able to code it yourself or know someone who could code it. So there were just like a tiny handful. I stumbled across them by sort of dumb luck and um, became just super dedicated to the form, uh, which I remain super dedicated to the form of, of sharing our stories online. I think it's particularly powerful for women and for other communities that just don't get a lot of airspace in um, media. Um, so I also, I went to school for experimental theater at NYU. And I knew that I had always, my goal was to have a creative business. Um And I just wasn't sure how that was going to work out, but I have sort of a weird, rare, like even according to personality tests, a very rare personality type where I'm kind of halfway split between creative and analytical, which means basically I want to do a creative business where I'm also, I'm not someone who hates the business side. I also really love the business side and having both of those sides. Keeps me sane. So, um, wedding vlogs started uh, January first, two thousand seven. Like the first two wedding vlogs published their first post on the same day, which is super weird. Um, and I started reading them probably about six months after those sites started, and then a year after the first wedding vlog started, I got engaged. Um, and my husband actually had the idea. He was like, you know, you've always wanted. Uh, Business, you've always wanted a blog and um, you really love wedding blogs and I've always really loved weddings. So he actually suggested the name and helped me get set up on Blogspot. And it was, of course, a very personal, first person driven, I'm planning a wedding kind of site at the beginning. And it, it was really focused on the fact that I did not have a trillion dollars to spend and that's what the wedding industry like expects. Uh, but when I started it, I did have a very clear internal vision, though I think it wasn't clear externally, that I wanted to try to turn it into a business. And I will say that there's – I think when you have a good idea and you start to put it into practice, there's this sort of like frission or like this sense of possibility that happens right away. Like every time I've started something where I'm like, oh, I'm onto something – That very beginning when nobody's going to believe in you except yourself and like you have nothing to show for it. I've always just had that sort of gut level feeling of like excitement and even like I would show it to a couple people and those people would be like, oh, this seems like there's something there. Um, So that's how I started. And I do think that that sort of moment of possibility and excitement is really important to look for because that is how I got to where I am today.
0: (laughs) we have to take a side tangent on these questions because I'm really intrigued about what is experimental theater?
1: (laughs) So what is experimental theater? It's like crazy nude being taught by people who were like deep in the seventies in New York city, which was like really a crazy stretch because I come from, um, the second poorest city in the United States, which we have like the added insult of no one's ever heard of us. Right. So We're like second force to Detroit. And then when you tell people, they're like, I don't even know what that is. (laughs) So we got nothing. Um, So I came from there and I was an honor student because that's sort of what you did to get a ticket out and get a scholarship. Um, And I got into theater and I really loved it. So I got into NYU, went to New York, which was like basically being on the moon. And of course, everyone at NYU is of the vast majority of people are from like really well off families. And I was just like didn't even feel like I spoke spoke the same language. And then I was like, well, I really want to get into theater. And I somehow landed in the experimental theater program. So it was was a little bit jarring. Um, But it actually, I think, uh, really contributes to what I do now. Because what I ended up sort of focusing on in that program um, was essentially like personal narrative performance art. Um, And when you think about it, that's basically what I'm doing on the internet. Like I'm writing personal essays and I'm like, sort of performing them publicly just in a written form. So uh, it is a super weird thing to have majored in, but kind of delightful and a great conversation starter. And um, (laughs) has, I think, played pretty directly into what I do now.
0: That's so intriguing because I'm, I'm becoming obsessed with people's like their non-traditional path to entrepreneurship, particularly people who started out like in college and now they have created their own job. So that's a neat little tidbit. I wouldn't yeah. have even thought to ask you about it. And that. I
1: went into, I worked in professional theater in New York for a while, um, and people are crazy. And my my now husband and I both were working in professional theater and both had like a series of insane bosses, which is pretty much how it goes, uh, still does. Um, and then I was at an investment bank of all places really briefly, well, for three years. It didn't feel brief at the time. Um, when I started the site. So I had a really sort of bizarre route to where I am now.
0: <laughs> so I want you to kind of help me settle this debate because there's this thing online about blogging. So it's 2018. What are your thoughts? Is blogging dead or is it still relevant?
1: Oh, I mean, my joke is that I come from a truly dying industry, which is theater. And theater is always like, <laughs> you know, RIP theater. may it live forever. <laughs> um, fear is called the perpetual invalid cause it's always dying. Um, and I, I feel like the internet, is a little bit like that. Um, but the, it, we're so, it's still so new that we're not used to the drama. Um, blogging. It, I mean, who knows? Like as a, as the very limited form that it started out with that sort of very limited format. Um, mm-hmm is in some ways bad, but I think it's also moved to other platforms like Instagram. But then I think we're also seeing a real shift like in the past few months with like the Cambridge Analytica scandal. And I left Facebook. I, a lot of people I know who I would who normally I consider early adopters, right? Like they're in tech, they start things first are now like early leavers. A lot of people I know are leaving Facebook. And I think Facebook is part of what destroyed a lot of blogging and a lot of publications and a lot of all of that, because you were just reading whatever you saw on your feed. So I have suddenly started being like, oh yeah, I'm going to use my um, actual bar, <laughs> my search engine and like type in the Atlantic or type in like different websites or my friend's websites and, um, So I don't know. Things are always changing. Like if you work on the internet, that's the one thing that you have to be down with is that things will never not be changing.
0: All right. Fair enough. All right. So let's get back on track because I've been asking you all these questions that I didn't plan. This is what (laughs) happens when people tell me things and I I start getting curious about them. But anyway, so uh, at this point, you've been 10 years in a practical wedding. It's gone from blog to publication. You guys are bigger than Martha Stewart's weddings. Yeah. So I mean, this is a big deal. So since it's grown so much over the years, what are some things that you did to grow it? Like, how did you build this thing?
1: I mean, it is one of those things where I'm always like, should I say it's some luck? And then I think that that is sort of profoundly unfair, both to myself and to like other women who are building biz- businesses, because it's, you know, like obviously being in the right place at the right time and having the right idea Um, are important than like having the resources to say, have a computer to open up and type on. Um, But it's never as easy as just them luck. Um, I have built a lot of our business on, on search, but I've also built a lot of our business on um, community and engagement. We still have an incredibly robust comment section, which exists almost nobody, nowhere else on the internet. Like, 200 comment posts are pretty routine like we have a couple of those a week um so and we have a really like polite kind um feminist intersectional like all of the good things comment section i think in some ways we were, we're lucky because we're sort of protected or like a little bit of a secret garden because of we have the word weddings. Um, so a lot of like, for example, every so often um, Reddit's like mm-hmm. men's rights forums will list what link to us because like we wrote a post about cultural appropriation and they're mad. Um, but they literally won't even leave a comment because they like are too good to leave a comment on a site that's a wedding blog. Um, so we'll like watch the like traffic pour in. But they don't even like screw up our comment section. So so, yeah, so we have a built, business built sort of on search and on community. Um, we're a little bit less built on social, which, um, you know, sometimes I feel bad about. And other times I'm really grateful for because social ultimately is a platform that you don't own and you don't control and isn't by a corporation somewhere else. Um, but I do feel like I've sort of built our business on scraps of information that were are throwing to me over the years. Um, like I taught myself how to build a search business based on like Literally, I can look back and I'm like, oh, this was like a sentence someone said in my presence here and like a scrap of information I picked up here. And then I would just go home and like madly research it and teach myself something.
0: So you've been bootstrapping. Can we talk about that a bit? Because I recently did a show about that. And this is an issue that I feel like you can never talk about it enough Mm -hmm. because the reality is building a business is expensive. But it can be done. Mm-hmm. I just don't think a lot of people starting out know how. Yeah. And once people become established, they don't talk about how they built their business without any money. It's just like, I make it now. So there it is. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's fair to people who are starting out. So let's talk about that. How, yeah. how have you been able to bootstrap this? So
1: I started the business with no uh, no money. Um, I, I think I had... Which, you know, at the time I was like, I'm rich, but I think I had $2,000 in the bank, like $2,000 to my name, um, and a husband who was in law school. So I was supporting both of us. So that's not like, what, that. I was not going to touch that $2,000 in riches. Um, that was for an emergency. Um, and so I never put, until actually the, literally three months ago, I never put a penny into the business that the business didn't make. Um, three months ago, I actually did put a little bit of money, which essentially was like, I put money back in that I, the business had made, but I pulled out, um, to rebuild a website. And I am now like taking that money out again. So it was more of a cash flow thing. Um, and that was also me just deciding that I would rather loan myself money that I'd already made than, um, use a bank loan. Um, so yeah, I never had loans, um, Two years ago, I got a a business line of credit, which I ended up being glad that I got um, just for cash flow purposes. Um, But it's, I mean, it's a lot of hard work. Sometimes I feel like we underestimate and undersell both how much work and how much time go into building a business because there is this like myth of instant success. And the stories that you hear are so often the like, I went from zero to a million in like three months. And sure, like those stories are out there. Um, but often also keep in mind, those stories are sometimes slash in a pan. Like I have gone to talks with people who are like, I went from zero to a million in three months. And like three years later, I don't think they have a business anymore. Um, so it just was, it was, if we're being totally honest, it was like brutal. <laughs> grinding work. I was working at an investment bank, which is, if anyone's ever done it, is miserable. I worked 60 hours a week. I had, I mean, I have like pumped gas. I have filed medical records in a basement of county hospital. Like I've had some bad jobs, but this job I would like every quarter, I would have four days, four separate days where I had to work 28 hour shifts without a break. So that's 6 a.m., to 11 a.m. the next morning with no break do not recommend um so i was doing that and then i was doing this on the side and so that was another 20 hours a week that i was putting in so i was basically like i slept but that was all i did and that went on for three years frankly um and then i got a book deal um that wasn't you know again like i hear so many stories from friends of like flashy book deals that you know pay a ton of money up front and i did not have that book deal um but i got a like respectable advance that allowed me to have a little extra cushion and an excuse to quit my job um and i quit my job and my husband it was the depth of the recession he just graduated from from law school he didn't have a job um so i was supporting two of us so it really was like a leap of faith so i think it's a combination of like you just work relentlessly and honestly like I did nothing but like I thought about my business when I slept like I thought about my business when I was going to sleep I thought about it when I woke up I thought about it at work um and I think I'm still like that and I, I also think that like when you find a project that you really love and is a great fit that will just naturally happen and when that's happening it's you know it's it's grinding. Like, I don't want to understand. So the fact that it's like really hard, um, but it does feel worth it when you're going through it.
0: See, and I, one thing that I struggle with when people email me at times about, they want to start a business, but they have a full-time job and they have limited time. Like I always am at this place of like, do I just say like, suck it up, buttercup, like this is how it's going to uh-huh. be? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> or do I give them like a flowery answer? Like you can do it. And you know, maybe you just do it an hour a week. And a lot of times I, I skew to the nicer answer, but really the honest answer is like, you just realize it's a season for your life yeah. and you buckle down and you ride it out. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> And that's, that's it.
1: Which is how, I mean, it's how we survive so many things, right? Like, at least my business was more established when I had kids, but also like, we also got to talk about the fact, which I feel like doesn't get talked about enough about like the sacrifices that come with running your own business. Like I have now like what looks like a great luxury, whatever life, but like I also went back to work. Um, I had two really difficult pregnancies, one C-section, one, um, one VBAC where I hemorrhaged and almost died, and both cases I was back working eight weeks after birth because, like, I own a business. That's what it takes, um, and it's a trade off that I'm like happy to make. My business is fundamentally like one of my other babies. It's like one of the key parts of my life. But like, yeah, you're just not not. It's not going to happen if you're doing an hour a week. I don't think. I mean, there are cases where it works, but. Yeah, I do. I sometimes get frustrated also because I feel like the the sort of cases that are trotted out are often the like very idealized cases, um, or people sort of painting what happened to them in a really rosy light, or not not being willing to acknowledge like all of the advantages they had going into it. Right? Like now we're at the birth of sort of the
0: like new mommy
1: blogger, which is like the the Instagram essentially like mommy blogger and people will be like, I don't know how it happened. I just got like a hundred K followers in a year. And you like, look at it and you're like, well, you're like, look like a model. <laughs> you have children <laughs> that look like models. The inside side of your house is like all like perfectly decorated. Like your kitchen is all like subway tile to the max. Like, like, yeah, I bet. Like, but you basically are living on a set and I don't want to say that that's easy like, God forbid, I actually do not want to make a living as an Instagrammer, like having to take beautiful pictures of my kids every day. But, but again, I just feel
0: like we need
1: to acknowledge that, like, yeah, a lot of stuff went into that.
0: And you know what? That's a part of the game. That's, that's a part of the strategy mm-hmm. that, that look that mm-hmm. aesthetic because that's that's the ideal that people want to strive for because it's, that's what we've seen on TV and that's what we think celebrities have. So that is a whole thing in itself, which I just feel like that could be exhausting. Oh. So I mean, I'm recording this right now and literally there's three piles of laundry sitting on the floor yeah. um, that needs to be washed and I'm just like, whatever. I, I can't to even an look at it right now. <laughs>
1: I talked to an Instagrammer at a conference and Gumby J. Not that I'm sure they listen to anything, but they were like when like when I do this, like I'll go change my wardrobe while my child works one-on-one with a photographer that she's the most comfortable with. <laughs> like, blah, blah. And like, God bless her she's making good money has her hustle. But I was also like, I would like to not ever like have to be doing that. And have my child have like a photographer that they're most comfortable with and like 15 wardrobe changes a day. So, you know, it's also just like, what is the reality behind any of these businesses and so many online businesses I mean this is always the case right where we're looking at like someone out quilts his outsides and comparing it to our insides but online businesses increasingly especially as we're like more and more instagram driven are literally designed to look a certain way um, and you're not seeing what's behind the camera or all the work that went into it or any of that
0: exactly And we could wax poetic about this all day, but I have other (laughs) things that I want to ask you. So um, let's talk about how you make money with a practical wedding. Let's do it. So how do you, because our inquiring (laughs) minds want to know.
1: (laughs) All right. So we sort of have a three-pronged revenue stream at the moment. Um, It's all ad-based, which is part of why um, we're launching an event, um, because I think that for us and for our sanity, it's important to start expanding beyond just sort of ad, like variations on the advertising web-based model. But currently we have display ad revenue, which I know for a lot of people is just sort of not a thing anymore. Um, but we have such a high volume of traffic um, because of search and weddings um, that we make really good money on just our display ad revenue. Um, to the fact that like, to the point that like, there are days where I'm like, I could shut this whole thing down and just like make more money sitting around making money off my archives and not working. But I would hate that. It would be really boring. Um, and then we have a small business sponsorship program. Um, that, And that's how the site started. And that was really the only way I made money for probably five years, where it's like mom and pop, wedding vendors, photographers, etc. cetera. Um, and that has interestingly been As all of, you know, the internet has changed and pushed towards Instagram and like Facebook driving traffic and like all of those changes that have happened over the past five years. What's frustrating is that has actually been the part where it has gotten harder. Like it's gotten harder to sell mom and pop businesses. It's gotten harder to get people's attention. Um, And, you know, we work really hard at it and we figured out a lot of systems. But it is frustrating to me because 10 years ago, you know, the internet was sort of built to be like look at this great photographer or like, Hey, I found this person who makes these amazing necklaces and people can make a living off that. And it's, that has gotten much harder. And then the third prong is that we work with brands, um, doing paid content.
0: Um, and again, we
1: don't have like a, I would go to conferences and people would be like, brands just throw themselves at you. And that was really not the case for a very long time for us. Um, brands, sort of got into the game online doing parenting stuff um, and women's lifestyle stuff, and we were were neither. Um, And so brands were largely just not interested in working with us. Agencies were not interested in working with us. And so we just slowly built up a book of business um, over about five years, but it was literally like individually building relationships with brands and also trying to do like the best job that we possibly could to prove that they should work with us because they often had some resistance working with us um but now that that whole business model has grown and now that there's like influencer marketing agencies we sort of fall roughly into that and that has that has become a bigger part of our business
0: oh good to know see i thought it was mostly ad stuff i didn't even know about the the other brand-based things yeah thank you for sharing that so let's talk about your team because you know you guys say that you guys are a feminist wedding site and it's a whole bunch of badass things happening over there so talk about your team because you guys have a, a pretty diverse team and for the most part it's mostly women i did see a couple of men on your there website
1: one man no. <laughs> and bless him. He's doing the groundwork. He literally is like, <laughs> we hired a man to do this stuff that we did not want to do. Um, as it should be. Uh, but yes, yeah, so we've had an all women team until about six months ago. Um, which is great, particularly because we know that like, I mean, we are in the Bay area. So we're like up close and personal with tech in the Silicon Valley. Um, and seven, it, seven, per, I believe that's Uh, more than 50% of businesses are started by women. It's something, I mean, significantly more, it's like 60% or something. Um, and 7% of venture capital funding goes to women. Um, and I can't remember the status on like minorities, but it's, it's like, it's similar. It's like five to 7%. Um, so it's just, I mean, it's, it's like egregiously bad. um, So, which is part of the reason we've always bootstrapped because, you know, my joke has always been that if I were a man running this business, people would be like, this is so genius. Weddings are like a multi-billion dollar market. People would be lining up to get us funding. And that has never been the case. And I just have opted over the years to not go after it because I'm not sure I want to deal with those guys. But um, so we built a team. It's actually fairly large at this point. I'm never quite sure what our numbers are because we have multiple part-time people in office, we have um, inc- we have we're both like local in East Oakland and remote. So in office, we have like three and a half people, um, and then we have sort of like five scattered across the United States. Uh, we've also really made a concerted effort over the past two years to diversify our team, and we're now um, more than fifty percent non-white, which is great, um, and. I mean, it's still we can do better, but um, it is great. And it will also just fundamentally changes uh, the quality of work that you produce, frankly, because, and we, you know, we have a mix of like all sorts of, we have people that are Muslim and we've had, you know, people with like ability issues. We have queer women, we have straight women. So we really, it is great because you do have so many perspectives that you can bring to any piece of content that you're writing. And you have so many people that can check sort of any issue. Um, so yeah, so that's our team right now. And, um, it has been, it really has been, it is both the hardest thing that I do. Like being a boss is so glamorized right now. Um, it's like the number of things you can buy with boss on it and being a boss is like the hardest single thing that I do. I think it's harder than being a parent of two small children. Um, but it's also, really rewarding it's not as rewarding as being a parent of two small children but you know it's very rewarding to build a to build a great team
0: and I love your team members Maddie oh she's so fun and when I met Navja a couple years ago she was equally fun so
1: (laughs) they're all delights and fun and and like wild and out there in their own ways so it's it's yeah it's been a delight
0: so let's talk about your new venture Compact Camp grown women because we need a grown woman camp. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So this is
1: sort of, it's interesting because I feel like I'm starting this business from really the exact same starting point that I started a practical wedding, which was like, there's something that I need that's not out there. So, and then I always sort of wait around because I'm like, well, someone's going to do it and then it doesn't happen. And I'm like, well, fine, I'll just do it. Um, But I feel like there's, there, I mean, there's a lack of sort of community and resources, all sorts of stuff for women in their 30s and 40s because we're like just, I guess, a less sexy marketing demographic. Um, but basically, what happened is, so hat tip to Jordan Ferney, who um, runs Oh Happy Day and now Happy Day Party Shop and now the Color Factory, um, who is a friend of mine and also sort of a business idol. Like she just gives the best advice. So when we're at Alt Summit in February. Um, She gave a little presentation and I was feeling just super burned out and kind of like not sure what was next. Um, And she was talking about how when she launched the party shop, which I remember, like I was there, I was in the warehouse when she first got it set up. She was like, it nearly killed me, which I can fully attest. Like she was so stressed for a while there. And I remember her being like, I have all of this paper, I have like so much money and paper goods sitting around. And like, if they don't sell, I guess it's just a bonfire. Um, but she said that the process of teaching herself something new really completely sort of revitalized her and gave her new energy and gave her less, less feeling of burnout. And then she, of course, went on from there to create the color factory, which is this sort of uh, it's somewhat like the Museum of Ice Cream, though, a little bit more artist-driven. Um, and it's in San Francisco. It's, been, it's amazing. It's, like, completely sold out for almost a year running now. Um, so I was like, oh, that's that's it. Like, I have to do something new. I'm at the point where I put in the 10,000 hours on what I do, you know, my day job. And, and that is, like, it's the good and the bad. Like, I'm genuinely really very good at what I do and I like if I'm laying out a post with wedding photos like I just instinctively know what photo goes where and then I like do a little tweak and then it's done um, but it also means I'm not learning at the rate that I was. And for me, that's really boring. Um, so we wanted, we knew we wanted to start something new and we have been kicking around this idea that we, like we had just internally called feminist summer camp for years. And we didn't want to externally call it feminist summer camp because like we want to all go relax and have fun together not like all go sit and talk about feminist theory together because that sounds awful. But we just were like, what do we need right now? And our feeling was like, we need to get out from behind our screens. We need to be in community with other women. We want to like relax. We want to do things that are fun. We want to get outdoors. It's all the things that sort of having a phone in our hands all the time is stripping from us. Um, So literally we're kind of like, well, we need this. So I guess we're going to create it. Um, So yeah, tickets went on sale this morning at 9 a.m. And they sold out in an hour. So I'm super excited and we're still putting that together. We're still building the team of who's going to be teaching and um, still shaping it. But I just think it's going to be phenomenal and so fun. I mean, a lot of hard work, but I'm just genuinely looking forward to it.
0: And I'm excited. Listen. Um, there's a waitlist available, so there I' will is a wait have... list
1: available. And I think we may be, depending on what that waitlist looks like um, we may be able to open up another block of tickets. We sort of want we're like, this is our first year let's't go crazy, but we do have more capacity at that camp. So put yourself on a waitlist if you're interested.
0: So I'll have links in the show notes for you guys to do that if you want to wait waitlist for the compact. So I'm going to switch gears here because we've talked a lot about your business, but I want to talk about some of the things that you have learned over the years. Um, and my first question is, how have you developed the courage to take risks?
1: Oh, God, that's such an interesting question. I mean, it's partially personality, but I mean, I don't know. I'm curious. You've talked to so many people, and I'm always curious. I did not have a particularly easy childhood. (laughs) Um, And uh, I didn't come from a lot of money. I mean, like whatever, we don't have all day. We don't need to get into it. Um, But I think that it does a lot of things to a lot of people. And I have a lot of friends that I'm still very close to who I grew up with. And, you know, it, it takes many forms. But there's a chunk of us who I think were type A to begin with, for whom it sort of put us on a path towards like, well, nobody's going to do it for us. So we just have to do it. And I think there is, I mean, it's very true that like, when you feel that you have less to risk, like you might as well just give it a go. Um, but I also think that like, I mean, my Hogwarts house is definitely Gryffindor. Right? <laughs> I definitely, I'm definitely like, well, you just do it. Um, so I think some of that is inborn, like just being like, well, just take the risk. Um, But I do think a lot, I've always thought a lot about regrets and like wanting to live my life with as few regrets as possible. And that looks different ways for different people. But for me, that has always meant like I would rather take the risk and try the thing and then see how it goes, right? So this is my second career. I trained in theater. Like that was my dream. That was my love, which has sort of freed me up because when I quit theater, I was i left a lot of my ego behind right so i have written two books and i write for a living on the internet and i like only marginally consider myself a writer like i just don't take it very seriously um which i think has allowed me a lot of freedom but i've already i also i've already failed like pretty hard like i put all of my eggs into the basket of theater and then i failed um, and I'm in a way that I'm really comfortable with. I was at a reunion for my husband and he also majored, he like double majored, but he majored in theater. And I was someone who was like still sort of trying to make it work in theater and clearly like, you know, not just not like making a living at it or whatever. Um, and they were like, oh, why did you quit theater? And I was like, oh, or why did you quit acting? And I quit acting long ago. And I was like, oh, I wasn't good enough at it. And they like looked horrible Horrified, And we're like, don't say that about yourself. And I was like, girl, I was not good enough at it. Like, that is just stone cold truth. Um, so I think being able to just be like, yeah, it turns out I'm kind of garbage at that and move on. Um, it's really freeing.
0: <laughs> wow. I mean... Hey, listen, you, I always say self-awareness is like one of the most important skills you cultivate as an adult and you cultivated it and you realized and you, you kept it moving.
1: And also like, now I never have to look back and be like, what, what would it have been like if I went for it and tried to be an actress? I'm like, I tried it. And here's the funny thing about things where you're like, I'm just not that good at it. Like I was decent, but like, I was also in school with like Kristen Bell and, you know, like I was in school with people that are now like movie stars. Um, and, uh, you know, it wasn't that good, so. <laughs> but, um, uh, actually Bryce, Bryce Dallas, um, Howard, I would, I would name call out as like one of the most talented actresses I've just ever worked with. And she's such a delight and I was in school with her. Um, but yeah, there's freedom to like, when you're not good enough at something, it's frankly not that fun. So when you give your permission, yourself permission, to be like, I'm going to quit and do something else um it's really nice and it also I just I just think that like career success and I think entrepreneurship success is a lot like I don't know roller skating or ice skating right like you're only going to get good if you fall down a lot and if you're the kind of person who's like I'm going to get out on the rink and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I never fall like you're never going to fall but you're probably never going to be good either so just you just got to be like I'm going to fall down a lot I'm going to make a mess of it. I'm going to embarrass myself and I'm just going to get up and I'm going to keep going because like, there's nothing that has always been the case for me. Like there's no other option. Like, I'm just like, well, I'm just going to have to figure out how to make it work. That's just my personality. So like, I'm going to fall down a lot. And then I'm just going to get up and be like, all right, well, that didn't work. (laughs) Let's try it again.
0: And this is a good segue into my next question about entrepreneurial mindset. Uh, What types of things have you done to work on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I sometimes get like envious in a, like a very unhealthy way when I talk to people who are like, Oh, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. <laughs> and cause I just like super did not. And I don't have people in now I have people in my life, but they're like friends that I've met at conferences. You know, they are people like peers, um, who I can talk to, but I did not, I'm not like someone who grew up around a lot of entrepreneurs and like had that tr- drilled into me. In fact, like everyone in my family is like, we're terrible at making money. Like my family's all like academics. Um, they're super smart, but like my sister's an emergency room doctor. Like she's not, it's not really like entrepreneurial. Um, so I think, I don't know. I mean, I think it, it really is just the, like you have to have a single minded focus that you're just going to make it work. Um, not that that's like an easy one size fits all solution and it's always going to magically come together. Um, but I I do think a lot of it is just like drive. I read somewhere because people talk about entrepreneurs and risk taking, and I actually read this really fascinating article that had a study that I've never been able to track down again, which makes me crazy. But it was saying that entrepreneurs actually don't take, they're not particularly risky entrepreneurs, or at least successful entrepreneurs take what looks like risks to the outside world, but are actually very smart bets. And so it's just a matter of, like, having the kind of brain where you know your market or you know your niche. And, like, I think all of us should be, particularly women, right, should be creating businesses for our communities. And if you're in an underserved community, which, you know, God knows I came from, like, creating businesses that focus on that community because nobody else is, right? It's not like venture capital is. And, like, we all understand our own communities and our own communities' needs, whether that's, like, your online community or your real-life community, better than anybody else. So anything that I've ever done, I I watched people from the outside think that it was a risk. And I was like, well, there's just, like, a clear market opportunity here. Um, So I, I think it's just really all about, like, not taking wild risks but taking things that, like, other people might think are risks but really is just, like, what you know is a smart bet.
0: Ooh, I see there's some sound bites in there. (laughs) Um. (laughs) So at this point, if you had to sum up your entire experience into one big lesson learned, what would that be?
1: God, it sounds so cheesy, but I do really feel like you're going to fall down a lot. You just got to get up So, and trust yourself. Also cheesy, possibly, but very true. And I think entrepreneurs have to learn to trust themselves and trust their guts way more than other people. Not only because if you grow a business, you have to like, learn to trust yourself when you need to let an employee go, or God forbid, but you know, this happens, like, learn to trust yourself before someone embezzles money, like all this stuff happens, right? So you really have to be able to trust yourself, because there's no like authority figure over you who's going to be making decisions. But I do think in the early stages, it is really trusting yourself. And like, particularly as a woman or particularly as a member of an underserved community, you are going to have an idea and everybody's going to tell you it's a bad idea or not have faith in it. But like, and you shouldn't have blind faith in it, but like, you know, if there is like a need in your community. So like, just, you just have to have the ability to be like, okay, well you just get back to me when, right? Like, all right. I see that you think that my idea is bad, but you just get back to me when, My nail salon is off the ground or, you know, and like, I work in East Oakland, like deep East Oakland, which is another like very underserved community. And like, I'm busy, I'm at capacity, but I can like look around my community and tell you like 50 needs that are being unmet, including like, there's no grocery store, you know, like really basic stuff. But it's like, it is being like, okay, I see a need and then I can figure out a way to start meeting that need without having a million dollars.
0: Hmm. all right so we're kind of at the end here but i have two final questions that i like to end with first one is the pimp your brilliance action challenge so that's you giving three pieces of advice or tips for someone who is looking to start a blog in 2018
1: Ooh. i don't know if you should be starting a blog in 2018 but you need to i mean one you need to be on social you, like, you just have to be um to look into your SEO game. Like, I can't tell you how to do it, but, like, particularly if you are doing anything that's service based, and you probably should be doing something that's service based, um, mm-hmm. figuring out how to leverage search traffic um, is, is pretty critical. Um, and then also just build your community. Um, I think people too often are like, I'm gonna send in this thing to like the biggest blog in my niche and maybe you're not going to get any attention, but how I built the site in the early years is I had a bunch of friends that were all starting out at the same time as me. Um, and we all just sort of like lifted each other up. And and some of those people have gone on to do totally different things, but then there's like a group of us, like, I don't know if you know, block shop textiles, but they're amazing. Like Lily was vlogging. Um, Lily Stockman was vlogging sort of as I was just getting started. Like there's like a crew of us where we're like the, the 08, OG internet crew. So like get your crew.
0: <laughs> and my final question is, what books are you currently reading or that have blown your mind and they don't necessarily have to be business-based?
1: And they are kind of. So I've been reading um, You Are a Badass and it's particularly You Are a Badass at Making Money. Um, I have a lot of money issues growing up without money. Um, trying to like not think of money as a bad thing or the root of all evil. (laughs) Why, why why all poverty exists, whatever. Um, so I've really been working on that because obviously like we want, we want women to be able to like access money and have like good feelings about money. My coach is always like, so would you like Beyonce to be like, I don't want to make any money. And like, hence like, I won't do shows or make albums. And I'm like, yeah, no, okay, I see that that is maybe not a bad plan. (laughs) Like I want Beyonce to do all of the things. Um, And then uh, I also was, I've been reading a business book called Small Giants, um, which is about businesses that have chosen to stay small, but leaders in their industry. Um, So it's about the fact that you don't always have to sell or like grow exponentially to be successful and that highlights a bunch of um, businesses that that have done that. The one that I knew off the top of my head um, was Ani DeFranco's uh, Righteous Babe Records, which I was big. Ani DeFranco fan in the nineties and she never signed with a a label and she built her own record company and signed other artists uh, in Buffalo, which is where she's from, um, which is also another like very, sort of poor community or now, like sort of now that I think the mills left, um, the steel mills kind of thing. Uh, so that business is there, that book is like super great. And I absolutely recommend picking up if it sounds good to you. All
0: right. So I will list those titles in the show notes. And if listeners want to get in contact with you, how can they connect with you on social, your website, the whole nine?
1: I would. Um, of course, there's a practical practicalwedding.com and the compact.com and our social handles for those are what you would expect. Um, but if you want to talk to me directly, I am on Instagram, uh, on Instagram as keen. That's probably the best and easiest way. Slide into my DMs, slide into my comments. Um, and I also have a mostly sort of up-to-date website, MegKeen.com, and you can message me directly there.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all of the gems that you dropped and just being honest about the realities of your business and, you know, some of the things that you've done so far. So, thanks again for coming on the show. Thank
1: you so much for having me.
0: And that's it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you love the show, make sure you grab the Be Brilliant guide where I share the keys to success for my most popular guests. Download it at backslash brilliant Now go out there and pimp your brilliance.